You're listening to One-on-One with Kruthi, Career Conversations. It's a podcast enabling thought-provoking conversation with everyday people working in corporate America. Listen to stories and real-life examples about navigating a career. Get ready? Let's go. everyone. Welcome to One-on-One with Kruthi Career Conversations. I'm your host, Kruthi. Today, we have a special guest joining us. Nick and I met back in undergrad when we lived on the same freshman floor. After we finally learned each other's names, we were on our way to becoming friends. Nick is someone who's game for anything, an active listener, and was our resident and very unlicensed therapist back in the day. With these qualities, it should come as no surprise that he has since become a family physician. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Nick. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Nick, I'm really looking forward to learning more about your medical education journey to becoming a family doctor. And we will also be sprinkling in questions about deciding on a career path. Before we continue, disclaimer to everyone, we are sharing our personal opinions based on our experiences and interpretation of them. We do not represent any company or organization during these conversations. I'm going to dive right into the questions. When did you decide you wanted to be a doctor? Somewhere in uh, in undergrad is where I wanted to be a doctor. I started out, oh, how does the brain work? I could be a therapist and prescribe medicine, psychiatry. And then I was like, no, but everything's cool. So I'll just be a doctor at some point during undergrad. And then I did AmeriCorps uh, for uh, two years. And the first year of that, I was like, oh, hell no. Doctor is the wrong career for me. So I did AmeriCorps a second year and finally came back to it. Oh, that's great. Medical field in general is a large field. There's a lot of professions within that. Why a doctor versus something else? When I was doing AmeriCorps, uh, I was um, doing like the medical and benefits uh, side of refugee resettlement. So like someone arrives to the country, I um, get them set up with like social security number, government benefits, teach them how to go to the doctor and, you know, make sure the doctor is using an interpreter, all the legal stuff. Mm -hmm. And while doing that, I realized they just arrived to the country. They don't. They can't get a a good job. The job they can get doesn't pay anything and is ruining their health. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to ride the bus. A a doctor can't fix this. A doctor is seeing them for like 15 minutes twice a year. So I was like, oh, you know, like a doctor is the wrong choice. Right. But eventually I sort of realized, yes, but also social work, which is what I was thinking about at that point, is also just fixing a very, very small part of the issues. For me, like medicine was... Yes, it's not the full solution. No, mm-hmm. Nothing is a full solution. But medicine allows me to do the stuff that I enjoy, which is mm-hmm. figuring out the, the mechanics of the body, trying to integrate everything together, like uh, physical health, mental health, social health. It, it was a good fit for me, after all. To become a doctor, there's a lot of education that goes behind it. Post high school, normally between 10 to 14 years of additional education. That is a huge time commitment and requires a lot of mental resiliency and endurance. How did you get yourself across the finishing line once you've come to terms with the fact that you wanted to be a doctor? 
something that one of my professors in uh, in med school told us all has, has stuck with me. Uh, he said, you know, some of you might be thinking about, might be considering a fellowship, but thinking, oh, that's going to be another decade of training after medical school. But a decade from now, you're going to be a decade older anyway, regardless of whether you did it or not. So that's part of it. Part of it is just sort of focusing on on like the day to day. But what's really what really got me through it personally was finding out how to sort of take care of my own well being uh, and being surrounded by really supportive people. How did you take care of yourself? What did you do to make sure you were doing okay? You have to be really, really intentional. In medical school, there was just no time to to be not at my hundred percent health. You know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. So during medical school is when I started seeing a therapist, when I started seeing a doctor, got some diagnoses, uh, started medicine, and, and started building some habits of exercise, not just when I feel like it. Let's dive a bit deeper into the medical education journey. Um, I'm hoping you could continue to share more anecdotes and and stories as we go through it. So when we met in undergrad, you had declared yourself as a pre-med student. Were there certain aha moments that made you realize, I want to continue to go and become a doctor? Yeah, something I was doing starting in undergrad was volunteering as an interpreter at a free clinic. While I was there, there's a kid who told me, my dream is I want to study computers and be able to teach all my friends computers. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. But the big barrier for her was her health. She was coming to a free clinic and we were trying to do the best we could, but Mm -hmm. health is a huge barrier for for a lot of people, along with finances, along with, with a lot of other things. So it was experiences like that, which really inspired me to want to do something in healthcare. Of mm-hmm. I want to help people reach their potential. I want to help them live out their dreams. And then being a doctor itself, you know, I've always been curious about how things work. I've always liked doing my own research and looking things up. And I also wanted to be able to coordinate things and put it all together. Being able to be a person that puts that all together helps it flow. It, it seems interesting to me. Moving down the timeline, you then applied to medical school, you got in. In medical school, you spent some time in the classroom, making your way through the curriculum that they have, preparing for board exams. But the part I want to talk a bit more on are the rotations that are also part of this experience. You get your first taste of working with patients and getting hands-on experience there. How many rotations did you do and what are some that really stuck out to you? It was around like 20 total, basically one one per month uh, for the two years. It, it's kind of nice. You get to sort of try it all a little mm-hmm. bit uh, and see what you like. Like I really enjoyed surgery. I strongly thought about being a surgeon. I, I really yeah. enjoyed um, uh, pediatrics. My psychiatry rotation was really impactful for me because uh, I was working on um, an inpatient uh, pediatrics floor. So inpatient is like when uh, a kid is hospitalized uh, for a couple days. It's really incredible to to see the situations kids are in and, and what they're dealing uh, with as they're growing up. When you work with these patients, I I mean, maybe besides surgery, I don't know if they're fully conscious during that time but <laughs> with, the other, not. 
Yeah. With the other patients, um, with your other rotations that you interacted with, were there any takeaways that you could share on how to interact with them or some of the soft skill aspect that you maybe learned during the rotations? Oh yeah. Um, so this starts in, in like the first two years of medical school, which are sort of like more lecture based and, and mm-hmm. not rotation based. Um, and honestly, I think med schools, or at least my med school does a pretty good job at, at teaching those soft skills, uh, as like a skill. There's specific techniques like, uh, nursing statements. So, so that, honestly, that's been super useful for me, both inside of medicine and outside of medicine. Like if someone's mm-hmm. frustrated with me, uh, or someone's like really upset, I try to figure out what are they really upset about? Cause often it's not what they're saying. What makes a doctor, why you have so much education is obviously the technical portion of it, the ability to diagnose and provide solutions for your patients. Were there certain technical things that clicked when you went from the classroom to your rotations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Med school is tough because uh, a lot of stuff you learn in the first two years, you really don't have a context for it. Like maybe if your your family's, uh, if, if you come from the background of in, in medicine, you you have more context for it. But for me, you know, neither my parents are doctors. I had no idea why we were learning every single, you know, I, I sort of roughly understood why we were learning like yeah. every single muscle and nerve and uh, and bone in the body. But it just seemed kind of arbitrary to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas once I started doing rotations, I realized like, oh, I need to understand uh, the mechanism of diabetes because uh, so that I can explain to patients like, hey, I'm worried about your your diabetes because I don't want you to go blind or I, I don't want you to be on dialysis. Or, or, mm-hmm. uh... Again, my experience interacting with doctors is being on the other side of it, being the patient. So I am curious if that's also something you learned about in medical school or during your residency, how to communicate something very technical. You're a doctor, you've studied it to a a regular person who's trying to understand what's going on with them. Fortunately, that's also something we practice very intentionally during the first uh, two years uh, with standardized patients. It's like actors who are pretending to be patients, basically. It's interesting how quickly you start using jargon, which is not great. You So you sort of have to learn again how to, to talk like plain English. Continuing down the timeline, you've finished medical school, you finished your rotations, you applied to residency program, and you began your residency. At this point, you've decided to specialize in family medicine. You touched on it a little bit on why you chose family medicine. You wanted to interact with children as well as adults. And a theme that I'm seeing you bring up is the social aspect of it. So I'm curious on why you chose to specialize with family medicine. A lot of people who go into family medicine, me included, do it because you sort of enjoyed everything. I enjoyed pediatrics, like you said, psychiatry. We don't do much surgery, but, you know, we do some small procedures. So it was a little bit of I enjoyed working with everything, uh, a little bit of I enjoyed um uh, I, I found it really important uh, personally to be able to integrate the the social aspects, the importance of the rest of the patient's life in their health and, and in the clinic. Or whenever I have a student that's asking me like, hey, how did you decide to do family medicine? I always tell them one of the ways to divide doctors is there's the specialist and the generalist. I like being able to do a little bit of everything and mm-hmm. being able to help people with basically whatever they come in with. It's a couple of those decisions that that help you figure out your career path. Do you want to be an expert or a generalist? Do you want to deal with the whole patient or one specific part of their health? 
Do you want to work with your, with your hands? The other really important thing about picking a career is picking the lifestyle. You can choose your lifestyle once you get into a specialty. In family medicine, you can do sports medicine and work with like sports teams, or you can go back and do a lot of OB stuff, or you can have private practice, you can work for a hospital system. There's a lot of things you can do. But at the end of the day, probably as a family doctor, you're dealing with a lot of diabetes, a lot of basic health issues that aren't as complicated. And in family medicine, you're dealing with a lot of paperwork. A lot of stuff to consider when you're, when you're thinking about how to specialize. So coming back to the residency part of your timeline, um, at this point, again, you've specialized in family medicine. How does a residency differ from rotations? People always say there's two years in the medical career that are the hardest. The first one is intern year, which is the first year of residency. And then the, the, um, the other hardest one is your first year of independent practice after residency or after fellowship. So residency uh, is a huge transition. A lot of the forced learning is no longer there. So you're, you're suddenly expected to look a lot more stuff up on your own. You know, you're not necessarily given a, a lecture on how to treat all of diabetes. Uh, you're expected to look up the guidelines, look up uh, the individual medications. You very quickly go from seeing no patients or seeing like two patients a day uh, as a medical student, a fourth year medical student, to seeing one every hour, then one every 30 minutes, and then one every 20 minutes uh, mm -hmm. as a resident. One of the toughest things is going from a medical student where you're sort of putting, you're gathering information and maybe synthesizing it into a diagnosis. But now as a resident, you have to go a step further. You have to be pretty sure about what your diagnosis is, uh, and you have to come up with a treatment plan. The treatment plan is tough because there's a lot of things to consider. You know, there's the pharmacology of it, like, okay, uh, patient has hypertension. I could give them um, a hydrochlorothiazide. Oh, but I can't because they, they have leg swelling already. Or, oh, I heard about uh, this new class of medicine medicines the, uh, that are great for diabetes. Oh, shoot, but this patient uh, doesn't have insurance and that medicine is $300. There's no way I can give that. Um, so yeah, the, the coming up with a plan is the big step that you take in uh, intern year. Nick's residency overlapped with the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. In the following section, Nick will describe his time as a family medicine resident. The commentary to follow is the reality of what he and a lot of other medical professionals faced. Please be mindful of the content and skip ahead if you need to. As a resident, uh, yeah, we were in the, in the midst of it. Um, uh, apparently, before I got there, uh, they had gone from having uh, like one inpatient team to having two inpatient teams because the the amount of patients in the hospital just exploded. We basically only saw inpatient COVID for the first year that I was there, and and that really colored everything. It was a really scary time for everyone because the vaccine wasn't out yet, so we were the highest risk you could be, basically. Yeah. We did not know how to treat COVID. There was a lot of research coming out of mm -hmm. like, hey, maybe this works, maybe that works, but like, we had no idea. We were trying a convalescent plasma, which 
we thought was maybe helpful, but it turns out it doesn't really do much. Two years uh, later, we found that out. It was a, a really tough time because uh, everyone you saw was had COVID and they were incredibly sick. When I was on my ICU rotation, uh, we it was like, I don't know, 13 beds, 14 beds or something like that. Um, all of them full of COVID, obviously. It's, you feel really powerless. Uh, you know, as, as a doctor, you're sort of trained to help people, you know, mm -hmm. fix their issue. I, I had one patient that um, she came in to the ICU. Uh, I really got a bond with her. I, you know, was, I, I talked to their family a lot. I talked with her a lot, trying to reassure her. Um, I, you know, did my due diligence and uh, had her, I, I talked about like end of life stuff with her. Like, do you want CPR? Uh, who is your surrogate decision, decision maker? And it's a good thing I did because, you know, like uh, a week later, she was intubated, uh, so unconscious uh, in a medical coma. And then like a week after that, she had died. Oh, wow. In terms of morale, were there anything, things that you all did to keep each other afloat? So you really have to take care of yourself and, and the people around you um, and be really intentional about it. Um, so... Part of it's just venting, uh, just talking about what happened and, you know, like you don't have to have a solution, but just you need someone to talk with about it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, part of it's, you know, finding small moments to celebrate, like someone actually left the ICU. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, we would like bring snacks for each other. Uh, we would take over if someone's kind of feeling overwhelmed. How was the rest of your residency post-pandemic? It was nice to finally be able to sort of learn the, the rest of medicine. Um, kind of challenging uh, to, to deal with the rest of medicine. Uh, I got really good at the conversation of like, hey, would you like the COVID vaccine? Fortunately, after COVID sort of faded, we started to see a lot of other stuff. Uh, you know, on the pediatrics floor, it was a little scary for a time because once COVID sort of died down, people started taking their masks off, went back to school, and mm. then everyone got... Uh, either uh, flu, COVID again, RSV, like the hospital was kind of full, uh, what, like uh, one year ago uh, of just kids uh, with RSV. It was kind of, we're kind of overwhelmed there for a second. So, um, and, and then I really, really enjoyed uh, learning how to do all of the chronic uh, care issues. So, so again, like, you know, choosing your career path, uh, if you like helping patients with chronic care issues, maybe something in primary care is good for you. So mm -hmm. for me, like I, I enjoy diabetes. I enjoy um, working with hypertension. I enjoy um, helping patients manage obesity, arthritis. It's you know kind of fun to learn the algorithm of everything and, and sort of come up with your personal way of doing things uh, to keep up with, to date with the research. How did you build trust with a new patient? I will have to put a uh, an asterisk here. Like I have a couple of bits of privilege. One, I'm male, and two, I have some gray hair, so I look older than I am. So that helps, honestly. Oh, and I wear glasses. You know, people think people who wear glasses are smart. <laughs> so that helps. Uh, part of it is just being confident. People 
will doubt you if you seem unconfident. Uh, and, and that's actually one of the skills you learn in um, your first uh, couple years of residency. Like if you say there's a new medicine on, on the market um, that has been shown to be very helpful, uh, it, my other patients uh, have, have done well with it and it's gotten their, uh, and I've seen it get diabetes under control. I think it would be a good match for you in particular. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, it trust that doctor, right? Again, if we go back to your timeline, you now finish your, your residency and you will be joining your practice. As a part of that, my understanding is that you will also be teaching. Can you share a little bit more about what that would encompass and why you wanted to also do this? Yeah, um, it was sort of a, a late find for me. Um, so uh, I don't know if I told you, medical school was very stressful for me. So I, I thought I would never want to go back to doing anything related to like education and teaching. During residency, a couple times a week, a medical student would, you know, see our patients and sort of follow us around. The, the medical student present to us or uh, we would sort of guide them in how to see the patient, what to do. And then we would teach them how to present to the attending and and also, you know, as you get into your second and third year of residency, you you definitely uh, start uh, teaching your co-residents uh, a lot more, um, both, you know, the interns who are, you know, fresh out of medical school, like you're really teaching them all the basics and, and how to be efficient, uh, or even your, you know, people at your same level where you're like, hey, um, I... Uh, Hey guys, uh, I haven't seen someone with a new diagnosis of diabetes before. Uh, how do you tell mm-hmm. if it's uh, autoimmune or not? Um, and they're like, oh, you know, this is what I do. And then you're like, you look it up and you're like, hey, actually, I found a really cool paper about this. Um, so I found that I, I, I started to realize that I really enjoyed um, looking stuff up, teaching, uh, helping people through the process uh, and um and and that's why and then uh, I actually got recognized uh, for like a teaching award. Um, so all of that together was just sort of like you know teaching might be fun for me. Again, choose your lifestyle. <laughs> uh, so for me, I realized oh I like spending a lot of time with patients. Uh, I struggle a little bit with efficiency and getting you know seeing all the patients that I'm supposed to in one day. Maybe a faculty position would be good for me because mm-hmm. uh, it makes it so that I'm not seeing patients myself the whole time. Um, I'm having residents or medical students uh, see the patients present to me, and then I sort of critique the plan. Uh, so it's a lot easier to, you know, um, not fall behind if you're if you're a mm-hmm. preceptor uh, compared to if you're seeing the patients yourself. Yep. No. So for me personally, it's just lifestyle also works out. Yep, that's great. I'm really excited for what comes next for you. So we'll end this entire session with any final thoughts that you may have. A a couple things. Um, One, uh, do something that's interesting for you. But also, uh, you don't you don't have to find the perfect career. You can make your career something that you enjoy. You know, a lot of people are like, uh, some people ask me like, hey, I'm in like industry, I'm in tech. Uh, I sort of want to do something more meaningful with my life and be a doctor. And I'm like, 
you know, uh, um, tech is important, like, uh, or, or like, uh, the engineers who make, um, uh, uh, public health systems, they saved way more lives than I will ever save in my career. Um, so you can have a meaningful impact wherever you are. Um, uh, take care of yourself is another thing I would, I would really stress, uh, especially if you're getting into a more stressful, like busy career where you don't have time for yourself. That's the, that's the situation where you really have to pay extra attention to, to taking care of yourself, what your needs are, uh, what help you need. Um, don't let it be a, a second thought uh, or else you'll be holding yourself back. The other thing I would say is uh, have your financial health be in line, you know, uh, take care of your financial health. Uh, I see doctors that, you know, they're like mid career and the career and they still need the job because they had a whole lot of lifestyle inflation. My dad, he's a big motivation for me to, to, uh, or make a lifestyle where I can have a better, better quality of life. And the other thing is, you know, even if you pick a career that you think is absolutely wonderful, it might not be, or you might start the job and realize, oh, it's not what you thought it would be. Um, and so if you have like a good amount of savings, you can quit and you can find a different career. Uh, and that's just not possible if you're living like day to day. <laughs> I will echo that. Financial literacy maybe is the way to put it is very important. Yeah. I'm still learning it myself, but yeah, it's very yeah, important. Absolutely. And, and it's okay to switch. Um, you know, like you can definitely make your current career into something that you enjoy if you like switch jobs or change what you're doing about it. But if you do really want to switch careers, like that's okay to do. Um, one of my co-residents, uh, he had like three different careers ending with being a firefighter for several years. Uh, he has three kids and uh, a fourth one during residency. And he switched, he went to medical school after those careers and then is doing residency now. Uh, oh, wow. So, yeah. So it's okay. It's okay to switch. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Good advice. Yeah. Thank you for having this conversation today and being really open and transparent about what you've done. Um, like I said before, I'm really excited to see what happens in the next couple of years uh, as you enter the workforce finally and join the practice. And I really appreciate you spending some time here today. From me, remember listeners, stay curious and be good. Thank you for tuning in to episode three of One-on-One -on -one with Kruthi, Career Conversations. Until next time, bye.